Welcome to Joy Field and Jesus Led. I'm your host, Tony Daniels, sharing real-life stories and practical tools that not only let you know you're not alone, but also help you become the emotional, spiritual ninja warrior you were created to be. This is a surprise episode on infant-level maturity within the surprise season on child-level maturity. In this episode, I backtrack a bit to show how the gaps in my infant-level maturity have affected my view of God into adulthood how scripture was twisted to support that harmful view of God, and what growing a secure attachment looks like at this stage of my life. Hope you enjoy. Hi there. Today, I realize as we're doing this series on child-level maturity that I really did a disservice by completely skipping the infant level, but it was obviously because my children are finishing the child-level stage, and so that's where my mind has been lately. However, a book has been released. It's called Attached to God by Crispin Mayfield, and it came across my path a few weeks ago, and um, I have to say that it is one of, it's really unlike any other book written so far in the area of attaching to God, I'm just amazed. I'm almost speechless. As you can tell, I'm trying to find my words because I'm so thankful to Crispin Mayfield for writing this book. I will have him on this podcast in just a few weeks, hopefully, and I can't wait to have a conversation with him. But, um, you know, as you know, I, uh, have been a mentored by Dr. Jim Wilder and he, and Dr. Dallas Willard in the book Renovated made the direct statement that soteriology or salvation, what if it were about attachment to God, about healthy attachment to God, where you feel loved, where you feel safe, where you feel secure in the arms of God? And what if salvation was really growing that secure attachment to God? Instead of trying to do a lot of things or suppress your feelings in order to have faith, for example. So they really challenge a lot of the ways that we have seen salvation in the past. And they do it from a theological basis. And no one I know really has written um, a great book on what does attachment style look like um, when it's not secure with God and how does it affect your relationship to God, your your attachment style, meaning the ways that your parents um, loved you or didn't love you, were there for you or didn't uh, didn't attune with you emotionally. All of that affects the way that we bond as humans, the way we attach to each other, to our parents at first, but then to other people in our lives. And eventually, maybe that even affects the way we attach to God, so to speak. So Crispin in his book, Attached to God, goes through the the kind of the main different attachment styles, recognizing that we probably all have a little bit of all of them in us, depending on which caregiver we were relating to. Um, but it's just so beautifully done. And, um, you know, I feel like my whole life, uh, ha- my adult life has been doing this kind of this work to grow this secure attachment to God. And in mine in particular, my work, um, I tend to have more of an anxious attachment style. And if all this is new to you, then please grab the book attached to God. Then It'll be in the notes below, but because I'm not going to go into lots of depth about all of these things, I'm sharing the personal outworkings of these things. So the theory and all of that, you might have to go somewhere else to, to grab that. But 
Um, but my personal attachment style was very anxious um, in many ways. And what that means is that, or distracted is another way to describe that. What that means is when I was a child, uh, my parents um, typically um, had a, a lot going on in their in their own inner worlds. So I felt unseen many days. Um, it doesn't mean that happened all the time. My parents were wonderful parents. They loved me deeply. Um, you know, in some ways, I feel very securely loved um, by my mom, especially um, who loved me no matter what. But I, I couldn't consistently count on being seen emotionally. And because I couldn't consistently be, be seen, right, sometimes when I needed to be seen, they were distracted by their own process, by their own emotions, or just unavailable at the moment, right? Um, all, all parents are unavailable sometimes. So to no fault of our own, we live in a broken world where no one's perfect. So I'm, I'm not, uh, I definitely want to, to say that all parents are doing the best they can do, but we all walk away from that typically with some sort of attachment issues because we're not perfect. So my wonderful imperfect parents, um, that was my, my reaction then was that I want to try to bond all the time. Okay. So my reaction to getting them sometimes and getting seen sometimes, but not getting seen all the time was that I would over uh, compensate by trying to perform for them, trying to get that, that seenness that I was looking for, trying to get their eyes on me and get their attention. Right. So I performed and I did a great job performing. I mean, I was top in my class. I was, you know, bet one of the best cheerleaders, you know, I was a great gymnast. I hit the top on everything that I did. I pretty much didn't do it. If I didn't think I could win, I was very competitive. <laughs> And I outperformed most people around me because I knew that if I did that, I would be seen, I would get attention, and I loved that. So my adult life then, um, literally since, you know, 24 years old pretty much, was starting to unpack that and realize that I don't have to perform for God, that he loves me no matter what. Um, and so, and life has a way of kind of hitting you really hard and allowing you um, the opportunity to look into these things. And so I started um, listening to God early on, thankfully had people in my life to do that. And, um, and eventually, you know, was able to get some to some core memories of where these things, um, where the, the deepest of pain I had happened and sense Jesus's presence in those moments with me. So now a lot of, and, and this is all broken down in, in my book, Back to Joy, if you have not read it. Um, and so I'm again, going to be very short with all of this because this isn't the point of today, but but over the years, I mean, we've been, I've been doing this now for 20 years, right? More than 20 years, goodness, more than 20 years. And, and over these 20 years, you know, it feels like I, uh, like a spiral in that I circle around to some of these memories and some of these painful moments that now Jesus is there and I sense him and they're not painful anymore, but, but I keep, um, kind of um, going around the spiral, meaning I hit the same um, echoes of the same thoughts or echoes of the same feelings. They're not as entrenched as they used to be. They don't have power over me now like they used to, but they're still there. And and it's just beautiful how God continues to deepen this secure attachment that we're growing together. So all of that to say that 
today, um, I want to share with you guys. So I'm reading this book on attached to God. And of course I'm reading it from the perspective of, Oh man, I've been doing this for 20 years and pretty much know a lot of this stuff. And I do, but it is so well-written. I have to tell you that it, it is revealing. It is revealing these echoes that are still left in me. And I am, uh, joyfully, excitedly leaning into them um, to grow even deeper in my attachment to God and how secure, um, because it affects my relationships with everyone that I relate to. So um, that's the kind of the pre preview here. <laughs> that was long, but um, to introduce to you um, just the way that this circles back around in my life at this age that I'm at. If you want to know what it was like at 30, um, you know, 20 and 30, you can go to Back to Joy and you can get the raw, raw, really tough. Um, it was, it was really tough when I hit all of this stuff the first time around and without Jesus literally coming into my imagination, creating these monuments that, that Chrisman talks about and healing and being with me and seeing me, there's no way I could have gotten through all of those years. So, um, but this is what it look, looks like now at this age, um, and this season of my life. So and, and all of it has to do for me with the infant stage of maturity, which I skipped. So that's where that comes in of, sorry, I skipped it. Um, but in the infant stage of maturity, the primary task is for us to learn to receive. A baby learns to receive because they can't really earn anything yet. They can't do anything. They can't perform. You get where I'm going. So they their, their personal task is just to live in joy, to develop trust, to learn how to receive, to begin to, and then to get to joy from every heart emotion. So that is this, just their job. And the community's job is a lot, right? It's to enjoy them no matter what, to delight in them, no matter what they're feeling and no matter what they've done, right? If they've pooed their pants and it's gross, I'm still glad to be with you. <laughs> if you, you know, break something because you're playing with it and you don't realize that you shouldn't have been, I'm still glad to be with you. So I'm glad to be with you no matter what you've done and no matter how you're feeling. That's the parent's responsibility. And that's really, really tough to do as a parent, especially a new parent and especially a parent that doesn't know that that's our job <laughs> because we think our job is to make children perfect, to make them obey, to make them look really good so that I look really good, right? We get a lot of this kind of messed up, especially the first years of my parenting. I got a lot of it messed up. Um, we're supposed to build strong, loving bonds with them. Um, we give the care that matches their needs, right? So I'm caring for them and matching their needs um, so that they do feel love and seen. Now, we can't always do that. Um, maybe the baby needed something and I was in a different room and didn't hear them crying. I mean, it happens um, on occasion where we cannot do these things. And the, the goal isn't perfection. I think Crispin says, if you hit this like 70 to 80 percent of the time. Um, that's all that matters. So <laughs> that's beautiful. But in this infant stage of maturity, then this is really where the attachment level growing is happening that then Crispin talks about in his book and, and the, that I've been talking about today. And so you can tell in, in Back to Joy, that's why I named my book Back to Joy, because it was me learning to get back to joy from every negative emotion, which I had not learned. And, and believe it or not, you can learn it before you're three years old, but you have to have a brain that knows how to do that in order to train your brain. And, and my family, we didn't, no one, no one had a brain that had been trained. And so none of us knew how to get back to joy from every negative emotion. And 
Um, not many people do, I don't think. So that's part of this growing, this secure attachment. And um, and that's all in the infant stage. So those are the places you can go if you need more resources and want to look more into this. But but here's me today, or last week, as I'm reading Crispin's book, Attached to God, and um, the, the way that this is presenting in myself. Um, so some of you might not know this, but I wake up every morning, pretty much every morning, and I feel uh, the pain of the world. I feel the pain of people being um, abused. I feel the pain of women being in um, sex trafficking. I feel the pain of uh, people in Ukraine right now, people in Russia uh, struggling. I, I feel the pain of every person who is not loved, cared for, and well provided for. And that's just weird. I've, I've often thought, this is so strange. I wonder why I do this, right? I don't understand why I do this, but I do it. And over the years, you know, I've learned to uh, just rest in Jesus, kind of lay in his arms in the morning. And so when I, when I wake up, I have that feeling. And then I usually have Jesus kind of holding me and I feel him close and we talk. And, and so I just, it is a, a beautiful morning, but this, this pain has always been there. And I've noticed over the years that the more comfortable I am, the more I feel discomfort about everyone else's pain, right? So when I lived in Uruguay and we didn't have central air or central heat and, you know, life was very much more difficult than it is in the United States. I always say living in the States is like living in extra cotton. Everything's wrapped in cotton. <laughs> and uh, for better or worse, um, that is the reality here. And, and most of us don't understand what real life in the rest of the world is like. And so when I lived in Uruguay, um, you know, life is hard. Um, there were no prepackaged foods. There was, you know, you had to do everything from scratch. You had to wash everything because a lot of times it, it still had bugs in it. And, you know, it was just a very different life and, and it was a hard life. And so these voices of the whole world suffering weren't very loud when I would wake up in the morning because I felt like I was suffering, right? <laughs> I mean, I was sacrificing a lot to stay in that country, to be there, to love. And, um, and so I guess in some ways you could say I could feel good about myself <laughs> because I was quote suffering for Jesus. Right. And so the voices weren't that strong, but now that I've been in the States for seven years, um, we have acquired a very comfortable bed. We have central heat and central air. I can cook a lot faster, a lot easier. I can even order meals already made if I want to. You know, there's tons of um, organizations like that now where you can just order businesses and, and they deliver meals to your house. It's amazing the level of comfort we can live with here. And on top of that, I feel loved and deeply connected to my family which is a dream I've always had. And I, so when I wake up in the morning in the United States, living here the last seven years, and but even more so lately, I feel guilty. I feel even more guilty that I get to enjoy love and safety and provision. And that there are so many people in the world that don't get to enjoy that. So that's where I woke up uh, the other morning. Again, I mean, I wake up every morning that way. But the other morning after reading um, Kristen's book, I was like, maybe God and Jesus is there with me um, in my imagination, but I kind of feel him physically holding me. And I'm like, maybe we should work on this a little bit. Maybe I should lean into this because, because it doesn't um, completely emotionally affect me. I've kind of just ignored it or let Jesus kind of sit with it and not needed to 
deal with it, right? Because it wasn't, it wasn't really affecting me emotionally. But this morning, I just thought, let's pay attention to it. So I, I got up and got a pen and got a journal and I thought, well, Jesus, let's just have a conversation about this. Um, you know, what's going on. And when I have kind of hard conversations with him, I go to my abiding place. And if you haven't heard that story, that is a previous podcast. I think it's even called the abiding place. Um, and I'm, I'm in the process of writing that in a, in another book that we're working on, on listening to Jesus and being Jesus led. But my abiding place in short is on the beach and Jesus uh, dines with me there. He, pre- he has prepared a beautiful table for me and we dance in my imagination. That's where he takes me to get me back to joy often. Um, I can, I can f- almost feel him physically. Um, he puts his cheek on my cheek and in his heart, almost up against my heart so that my body can be regulated, my central nervous system. And he regulates my my body even and calms me down when I need to get back to joy. He sees me when I need to cry or grieve. So he's just glad to be with me. That's my glad. I'm glad to be with you space with him. So I anchor in that space and thankful to be with him. And then I just start sharing my, I let this part of me, right? Um, because not all of me thinks these things or feels these things at all. But this kind of voice that I hear in the mornings when I wake up, I let it talk a little bit with Jesus. And the conversation goes something like this. Um, Jesus, if I'm not suffering for you, like quotes, suffering for Jesus, I don't feel like I'm pleasing you at all. So I almost need to be in a state of suffering and deprivation in order to feel close to you. Wow. I'm not earning rewards in heaven if I'm not sacrificing more. And I'll be like the rich man in the parable with Lazarus. And and I don't know if y'all remember that parable, but wow, that came back to me. Apparently this part of me might even be, you know, remembering as a child listening to this parable and it really impacted me. But the parable of the rich man is wealthy, has everything he needs. Lazarus is is kind of on his street corner, I guess. And as the man comes and goes, he sees Lazarus. And Lazarus even asked for water at one point because he's he's starving. He's he's dying of thirst. And I think the rich man does not give him water even. So when they pass away, both of them, now the scene is reversed and the rich man is suffering in torment, really, I think is the way the scriptures describe it. In Hades, where he was tormented, it says, and he can look far away and see Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, with Abraham. And and he begins to ask them, you know, for comfort, for water, for something. And they said, no, pretty much you had yours when you were alive. And and now you're not going to have it. (laughs) And even begs him to go back and tell his family because so that they don't suffer the way he's suffering. So as you can imagine, this is a big story and very much for me, um, encouraged the anxious attachment that I had that was, you better suffer for Jesus and give it all, all the time. And if not, you're going to look like uh, the rich man. You're going to be like him. So this part of me, this little part of me is still believing this apparently. And even though we know Jesus loves us and we're with him all the time, um, it, it has definitely affected the, the, this part of me. So um, this part continues, you know, so I carry all the suffering of the whole world in my heart and I beg God for their comfort constantly. And I remind myself of how much we've already suffered for him, hoping that it's enough. Wow. That just makes me want to cry just listening to it. (laughs) I don't know about y'all. And then this part of me asks Jesus, is, is that enough? 
Have I suffered enough? How much do I have to suffer to be able to be close to you always? How much do I have to sacrifice to to get your favor? Wow. Wow. So I sensed Jesus leading me to actually read the passage again because I, I sensed him kind of saying, we, Tony, we need to, we kind of need to heal this, this passage part too, because you, my Bible, my word is being used against you right now. My word, my stories that I told even, because that story was from, from Jesus, right? He told that story. He's like, that is being twisted on you and used to hurt you and to keep you from me and to keep you from living in my freedom. So let's look at that together. And I said, okay. So we go to Luke 16, 19 through 31, and we read it over. And Wow. I mean, again, my, this part of me was feeling like, yeah, this is exactly my problem. And look, the scriptures are so clear here that I need to keep sacrificing for you all the time and keep my focus on that. Because if not, I'm going to lose, you know, closeness with you. And I even, so I finished and I asked Jesus, you know, were you drawing on fear to motivate us to do good? Like, is that what you were doing here? <laughs> And Jesus gave me the response that I just, uh, of course, did not expect. It's so beautiful when you get to read the Bible with Jesus and you get to think with him. And he said to me, my child, and he just drew close and I could sense him close. And he said, the rich man's sin was not that he was rich, but that he did not know me or listen to my voice. He wouldn't listen to me. And, you know, I could almost sense Jesus kind of going, are you listening to me? Do you listen to me? <laughs> and, and I still responded back. But Papa, there's a part of me that's so afraid that I'll get it wrong, even if I'm listening to you, that I, I would get it wrong and that you're going to punish me for something that I didn't even know about, something I didn't know I was supposed to do. Maybe, maybe you said it, and I didn't hear you. And, um, and so I, I don't want to be punished for those things. And you know, Tony, the rest of me, you know, ha has no problem enjoying life now and, and, and celebrating and resting and playing. But, but, but I, the little part of me says, you know, I'm still afraid we might get punished for every glass of wine we drink or every movie we see or every vacation um, I enjoy. Like, I'm still worried about that. So you can see, too, how there are different parts of us relate to each other. And that there can be a whole part of me that is has a secure attachment to God, but yet one little piece still, still wondering, still working on that, right? Still kind of getting there. So I share that with Jesus, and I sense him say, my baby, come here, because it must be a small, smaller part of me or a part that feels younger. And he says, I am so sorry that your upbringing was chaotic in the way you were disciplined. You were shamed and punished for things you did not even know were wrong. And I'm really sorry that happened to you. And I was crying by this point, right? I think this part of me just had some things named, right? And seen that, oh my goodness, this is why I carry this interpretation, why this interpretation of this passage really kind of stuck to me, right? Got into me because it was already there for me to perceive a God who's going to punish me for something I don't even know about or shame me, even though I was trying to do good. 
right? And then Jesus continued, I'm, I'm sorry that even when you tried your best to do what was right, your dad, to some degree, still found fault in you. And, you know, again, love my father. Thankfully, I have a good relationship with my father. But there were moments when I would clean the whole house, you know, spotless as best as I could at my eight-year-old self or however old I was, and did everything right that I thought would be right. And he would come home, and instead of saying, wow, somebody cleaned the house today, or Tony, you've really, you've done a good job trying to clean the house today, he would only point out the, the things I left out. Why is your backpack in the floor? You know, why are your shoes still in the floor? And so no matter how hard I tried, I still felt like I was going to get shamed, blamed, um, and, and possibly punished. So Jesus saw, was just seeing all of that again. And again, this isn't the first time we've, we've visited this, right? This is probably the 15th time over the last 20 years plus. Um, but kind of as we're going around the spiral this time, Jesus is picking up, you know, the pieces, the, the last parts of me that are still, uh, straggling behind the rest of me. And then I just told him, I, I got real honest and I said, you know what, Jesus, I feel like my sacrificer is broken. So here's the part of me, right, that has been driving me my whole life to sacrifice for Jesus so that we stay close to God so that we don't end up like the rich man in Hades. And um, and and yet it can't do its job anymore. Um, and now it's confessing this, right, that, that I, I've been carrying this all this time and I can't even... Uh, sacrifice anymore. I feel like that part of me is broken. And, and, but yet I feel like you're asking, you know, that, that I'm supposed to be not like you're asking me to right now, but I'm supposed to be. And that's what the Christian church says, right? And I'm supposed to be feeding the poor and I need to get out there and start some ministry to help the homeless. And I need to be doing these things. And, um, you know, but, but this part of me says, I just can't, and I don't want to willingly inflict suffering on myself anymore. Like I, I just, it's broken. I can't even do that anymore. And again, I'm crying at this point um, and feeling the feelings of that part of me. Now, the other logical side of me could have stepped in and just started speaking tons of truth to this part of me, right? But that's not the point of this exercise. The point really is to, to let this part of me speak and let Jesus respond to this part of me. And so, because he, he always says things that I would never think to say. It's wonderful. <laughs> So I, I let this part of me feel and think and be with Jesus. And, and, and then he looks at me and he says, Tony, when I lead you into suffering, it will be me leading you there, not you going there because you think it's something you should do. And in Luke 10, you know, we, that is really our biggest uh, rock, as we say, Jesus led. We, we want to be joy fueled and Jesus led. So we don't read the Bible unless Jesus tells us to. We tell people, don't minister to anyone unless Jesus tells you to. Don't give to the poor unless Jesus tells you to. <laughs> so we really hammer that home. But yet here we go, still one little part of me that hasn't grasped that truth, right? And here Jesus is inviting me into that truth, right? You don't have to look for suffering, he said. You don't have to go look for it. You don't have to try to make it happen to yourself because it's going to come, my baby. It's going to come. I will lead you there when it's time. But enjoy the peace that you have right now. Enjoy it. Rest. Rest, my child. Deeply rest in me because all I want is you. 
I want closeness with you and I want you to hear my voice because I know you're going to obey me. We have an attached bond, a beautiful, securely attached bond. And the more you, when you hear me, you, you always obey me, Tony. <laughs> like that's what you do. That's the way we function. And I love you. And I want you to know that. And you need to rest right now. That's where I have you. I have you resting. And then he takes me by the hand and he says, why don't we dance together for a little bit this morning? And, um, and we did. And I just sat with him and um, in my imagination, and we were able to just dance and let him enjoy this part of me that has been kind of straggling in the joy field Jesus led area of life, I think. And mainly because it has been so quiet, I haven't needed to address it. But it, so that was me. And I felt, and I have felt, this was a few days ago, I felt, um, I feel relieved. I feel tender, very tender still for this part of me. I'm still tender for all the suffering in the world. And I pray that God brings laborers in every one of those harvest fields uh, in the name of Jesus, that he will raise up elders to lead in every one of those uh, situations where there is suffering and pain. Um, and I can rest and I can enjoy my family and enjoy the joy that God's put in my life um, that I, I can do those things and not be distant from God because I'm not suffering. So absolutely beautiful uh, time with him, healing my attachment to him and making it more secure. If that brought up a lot of questions in you, Feel free to go to Luke 10's website and email there and just put in memo or in the subject line uh, for Tony, and I will get that email. Um, but also refer to the books, refer to Back to Joy, refer to um, Attached to God by Chris Crispin Mayfield, um, our joy-fueled book that's out there. There are so many great books, uh, Life Model Works books and, and all out there if you need those. But if you want a community that practices these things, that, that teaches you how to be church um, in this way and healthy attachment to God, church, um, with each other and with God. Luke tends your starting point and lk10.com would be the website and sign up for an intro call today and get an experience of what it's like to connect heart to heart with each other and with God. Thank you for listening to this episode of Joy Field and Jesus Led. Until next time. Thank you.